Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Good Calls with Dean Blandino, a production of iHeartRadio. All right, welcome to another episode of Good Calls. I'm Dean Blandino. As always, I'm joined by Travis Hansen. What's going on, man? You're, you're Making in, it weird. Your introductions get more <laughs> awkward every week. And Travis, you're you're like a pretty personable guy, but you put a <laughs> microphone in front of you, and you're like, hey, what's, what, hey, what's, what's going on? I just don't want to step on you. I, I want know, to get in the way, and then you make this happen. And our audio guy, Joe Madrid, who who is slowly but surely becoming the MVP of the show. The, the audio is sounding crisper and crisper each week. This is a this is a compliment. I don't give many. As uh, as these guys know, and I'm giving Joe a uh, a compliment. You're so. getting a lot better, man. I am. Every I week am. I feel more and more appreciated. Yeah, that's Thank great. You. Okay, moving on. So, <laughs> all right, great show. We're going to talk about a lot. NFL Week 12 already. It's crazy. Thanksgiving. We got um, we've got a guest appearance by Amy Trask. Amy, who do you know what Amy's nickname is by Raiders fans? Does either of you guys know? I don't. We are bringing on the Princess of Darkness. Wow. Like how cool That's is that? That's a cool nickname. How cool is that? We're going to so talk about nicknames later. We're going to talk about nicknames maybe. So Amy will be joining us. But let's get into it. Let's get into a subject that, you know, I didn't think we'd we'd be talking about, but but controversy in the... And when I was at the NFL, and here's the deal, and everybody feels this way at the league office. Every game, there's 256 regular season games, and every game counts the same. Okay, but the bottom line is whether it's officiating, whether it's broadcasting, whoever, when you have a game like Cowboys Patriots, okay, on a national audience, ninety nine percent, ninety nine percent of the country is watching Cowboys Patriots, two of the the biggest fan bases. You're talking about. You want that game to go smoothly from right. an officiating perspective, from everything. You want that game to go smoothly, not that. The the other game, and I'm not gonna. I don't want to like use names of teams, but the the three and eight team versus the two and nine team in the early window, you are okay. Not you don't want an officiating mistake ever, but you are okay if it happened in that game. You don't have as many eyeballs because you don't have it. as many eyeballs, and it's not going to be as controversial. So what happens? Cowboys Patriots. What did we have today? Ninety nine point nine percent of the, of the of the country watching the game. We have controversy involving tripping. Imagine you got some good tweets about tripping this. of all the things. And if I get one more tweet with that wasn't tripping, these refs are tripping. Like if I <laughs> one more time. All right, we get it. It's, it's all right. Good, whatever. Though. Yeah, the first sixteen times it's good. <laughs> tripping. Okay, so you have a call early in the game in the first quarter on Tyron Smith. That's Again, it's it's this is it's a hard game to officiate, right? But the umpire in this game calls tripping on Tyron Smith early. When you when you talk about coverage, you have a referee and you have an umpire in the offensive backfield. The referee is going to be on the throwing hand side or the right hand, typically the right hand side of of the quarterback. The umpire opposite opposite the referee, and they each take their side of the line of scrimmage on passing plays. Okay, and they work they work inside out. And and in this instance, 
the umpire called tripping. It wasn't tripping. It was it was kind of a double team block. Smith had it was almost as if just by circumstance he turned, his leg was there, the defender they made contact. To me it wasn't tripping. First quarter not that big a deal. But later in the game, fourth quarter, Cowboys are behind by four. They're driving to try to take the lead, and uh, and it's a third down play. Um, and they complete a pass for a first down, and we get another trip, this time on Travis Frederick in the middle of the line. This one's probably a little closer, but still, to me, it's not tripping. Tripping is an intentional act. Tripping, what you want to see for a trip is more of the player lifting his leg this was, again, Frederick turning. The legs make contact. There is certainly contact with the knee and the defender. The defender goes to the ground. So I understand in the moment, in real time, the umpire seeing that, processing it, and calling the foul. But it's not, when you look at it, again, a trip is a lifting of the leg. It's an intentional act. You can have a leg whip, which is more of a strike, which you're whipping the leg. That was not the case. And I certainly didn't see him lift the leg intentionally to trip the defender and then didn't like the call ends up being a pretty big call. Cause then now you go from first and 10 to third and 11. They don't convert. You have a big overturn. They had just picked it up on. Yeah. They picked one. it up and, and then you get a fourth down play, a pass to Amari Cooper that was ruled complete on the field and to the consternation of Cowboys fans everywhere. It was overturned in replay, which, again, we don't want to bring back bad memories, but that has happened before I've been involved in, in maybe. Could you, when I watched that second one, I think you could have made a maybe a light argument that there was a hold in 77. What would you think? You know, again, with holding, holding, again, is a very subjective call. Uh, holding, you know, maybe there's a left arm, an extension of the left arm. I'd want to see more restriction. I'd want to see something more of a grab and a restriction. In that instance, I think the defender went to the ground because the, the legs did make contact. Yeah. But I didn't think it was a hold. I didn't think it was a trip. It's obviously a big call. Not again. Not the reason the Cowboys lost the game. But it's it, it has an impact. And and when you see very rarely you see tripping calls. If if you have twenty tripping calls all year, that's a lot. And so to see two in one game um, is is an outlier. And then you have one official that's looking at it. And that's where, you know, if it were me in that position, if I was head of officiating, you know, you're looking at that official, you're going to show him those two plays. You're going to get that, that official's perspective. Okay. What did he see to make him think that was a trip? And you kind of work, work it that way. And then you make sure you share that with the rest of your staff to say either this is, or this isn't tripping. And we, we, we don't want this call going forward, or we do want this call going forward. And, uh, and again, it's just, it's an interesting call. And then there was, you know, there was an interesting situation at the end of the game with the Patriots are trying to run out the clock, and there was five seconds on the clock. Brady drops back. It's a fourth down play. So this is something that is coached, and, and you talk to teams about this, where the quarterback can just drop back, throw the ball out of bounds, and try to take as much time off the clock as necessary. And uh, and it's not a, it's not grounding if the quarterback isn't under pressure, even though he throws it from the pocket. And uh, and the ball, you know, goes out of bounds. It's really just a just kind of an airmail type throw. But it did look like, and this would have been, it would have been more, it would have been more eyebrow raising had this game been in Dallas. It felt like that last second kind of just kind of just hung on a little bit. Yeah, I, it it, it, it felt like it was. And and when you talk about the ball. You know, when is the play over, right? The ball crossing the sideline or the ball touching something, you you really you look for a signal. The clock operator is looking for a signal from the official or clear indicator that the play is over. The ball really touching something out of bounds is 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 the indicator that they use. And uh and it felt like clocks should have expired. And so Dallas did end up getting one play. It was inconsequential. They didn't do anything um on that. So interesting tripping. Yeah, those tripping calls to me, I I didn't really like them either. Like the the first one with with Tyron Smith is he's getting hit and it almost looks like he's trying to brace himself. He's had lower body injuries, ankles, knees, and he's just it looks like he's just trying to get out of the way to like keep from from getting stepped on or, or hit. And then the second one, it seemed like Travis Frederick he he took the hit on with his shoulder yeah. first, and the initial contact came there. You'd think if the initial contact comes with the leg. For the trip, that yeah, think that's I, where I think the call you, would you, come. You want to see an overt act. You really do. You want to see a clear lifting of the leg that's gonna that's gonna impede the defender. And I, I, I just didn't think. Again, these are judgment calls. And listen, and Cowboys fan, Dean's on your side. I'm here. on your side. I I'm think on the big question guys. is, 
Is there a hashtag yet? <laughs> don't trip. Hashtag don't trip. Tripgate. I don't trip know. Gate. I don't know. Maybe. Um, Refs so be tripping. Moving on. Putting it to bed. The league did announce <laughs> fines for Pittsburgh, Cleveland, uh, and significant fines. It's just in terms of total number, because you had so many players. Travis, I think what was it? Thirty three um, players. Thirty three players. There's there's a number. There's a fine for for fighting for being in the fight area. So thirty three players. Mason Rudolph was the 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 he was the top. He was the winner in terms of numbers. He got fifty grand. And the obviously, loser. look. And one of the things, look, let's let's talk about it a little bit. Is that now it, it came out that that in his appeal, Miles Garrett had had said that that Mason Rudolph used uh, obviously a racial slur, and that's what that's what led him to to hitting Rudolph with the helmet. And there are so many things we talk to our officials. Used to talk to our officials all the time. There are so many things that are said on the field, and you know the league wanted to put in, I remember years ago, they wanted to curb the use of, you know, the racial slurs or if there's anything involving sexual orientation, things like that. And it became very difficult for the officials to differentiate between what was said, you know, what is said between two players that is, is, or who's saying it, who's You're in saying a pile. it it's a pile. Is it, is it kind of the normal trash talk that goes on that we all know happens in every sport or when does it cross that line from, from normal trash talk to something that is truly, truly unsportsmanlike and uncalled for? And I think that's something I would show the league in their, in their, in their kind of investigation, for lack of a better term. You know, I was looking for audio, talking to anyone that would include the officials. I was involved in situations where an official was accused of saying something to a player, and you had to interview players and talk about who was in the area and did anybody hear anything. So it's just it's a tough tough deal to try to prove or disprove something mm-hmm. that's said on the football field and uh and so again hopefully this thing goes away and uh you know the fines are out Garrett's suspension was upheld uh Pouncey's suspension was reduced from 3 games to 2 games and uh and we'll kind of see if there's any any further fallout um let's move on to our favorite subject, pass interference review. And and Travis, you had a couple of things. There were a couple of comments going into the week from some some head coaches, Vic Fangio from the Broncos and Sean Payton of the Saints. What what did Vic have to say? Yeah, on the 18th, uh, last Monday, he said, it's going to have to be a five-car pileup, I guess, for them to overturn something. Yeah, so, you know, and Vic, and, and he's referring, you know, there were, there were two plays at the end of their game against the Vikings. There was a play... Um, at the end of the game where it looked like there might have been fouls on both players, pass interference on the offense, a push off, and then a grab by the defender, which would have led to, if they were both called, would have led to offsetting penalties and replaying the down. Denver was obviously trying to come back and, and, and get, a, get a score at the end of the game. There was a play, two plays earlier, where the defender clearly grabbed the Broncos receiver's face mask with the ball in the air. The game was not stopped. It was under two minutes. The game was not stopped. There was no foul added in replay. So I understand Vic's frustration. Um, and, but we're going to talk about how from last week to this week, it may have gone from a five-car pileup to <laughs> a little bit of a fender bender in terms of the standard. Um, but Sean Payton had some very interesting comments to talk about the process yeah, so of PI review. He said this on Friday. He said, I think it's a challenge for Al, Al Riveron. Um, it's a challenge for New York when we go to, to New York. And quite honestly, I think the numbers looking at those plays from a consistency standpoint need to be, it's hard to be singular and singular in that position. It's hard for one person. Peyton said, he said Thursday night when coaches meet, he's talking about his team on a phase of a game, you know, there's going to be four or five voices that can have thoughts and opinions on the decision, not one person. And I think Al does a great job. And yet I think the number needs to be more like three or five. It's a, it's an interesting thought and concept. So when when replay went to when I was at the NFL, 2014 was the first year we were involved in replay decisions. And the theory was, okay, you have 17 different officiating crews and you have 17 different replay officials. Mm-hmm. And they may look at the same play a little bit differently. And we would see it every week because we'd be in the command center. We would see a call overturned in Seattle um, with with less evidence than a call not overturned in Baltimore with more evidence. So you were trying to create a consistent, a process that was consistent in terms of decision-making. So you you bring in less people, 
mm-hmm. and you say, okay, there's going to be a small group of people in New York that are going to make these decisions or be involved at that time, be involved with the referee in these decisions. In theory, you're going to create greater consistency by reducing the number of people making the decisions. Um, I think what, what Sean is saying is it's a tremendous burden on one person. And it is, it really is. And you're talking about one person having to look at all of these plays and try to adjudicate these plays consistently. And it's hard. And so I would agree that maybe it is two to three people that are trained, that are taught, that, that understand what the framework is and understand what the standards are and can make those decisions. Cause I know I was in that role and that's a very difficult job. And Al is doing the best job he can. He's doing a good job, but there's so much on his plate. There's so much on his plate and it's hard to do all of those things because you're always, you always feel like in that role, like you're putting out an, an, another fire, mm-hmm. right? You're dealing with another controversy you're dealing with. And I can't imagine Al having to deal with, pass interference review and all of the scrutiny and everything else. But guess what? There's 18 billion other things that he's got to deal with. And it's really hard. And I think Sean might be on to something. Um, well, I know three yeah. guys at this table right here that might be great at it, right? Oh, yeah. You guys <laughs> I'm looking for a job. You guys so. are really good. But let's, let's move to what happened on Sunday where I really feel like the standard, the standard has changed, at least from – a perspective of the call that's not made on the field because going into the week, we, we had 71 reviews, 12 reversals, right? So doing the math carry the one six, 16.9%. Okay. 16.9% of the, of the reviews are being overturned on Sunday. There were, there were unofficially six reviews for past interference and three were overturned. So let me do the math. That's 50%. Okay, that's 50%. That's that's a a much bigger number and we saw three calls get overturned. We saw a touchdown get taken back in the Jets Raiders game on a on an OPI that was added in replay. And what's significant about that is it was ruled a touchdown, so it had to be initiated by the booth. And we've seen calls, we've seen non-calls in automatic review situations not stopped for what was probably just as much contact or maybe even more contact than that play. And and it was, and I think it is offensive pass interference by the letter of the rule, but it's not to the standard of what we've established going into the week. Then you had, you had another call that was added in the Dolphins Browns game again, stopped inside of two minutes. And so you have a replay official. This isn't a coach challenging where they're forced to look at it. This is the replay official deciding in New York, deciding to stop it. And it was pass interference, um, and it was I think it was Odell Beckham that got in, that got contacted, and that was overturned and added pass interference. And if you compare that play to Golden Tate play Giants Patriots, if you compare that to even earlier in the year, there was a play involving Richard Sherman and Mike Evans. There there was blocking downfield with Sammy Watkins. If you compare those plays that weren't overturned to this one, I think. Anyone looking at it would say those are fouls. This one is questionable. And then you had a, a could have been a really big call in the Carolina New Orleans game where not called on the field, challenged by the Panthers and created in replay for pass interference. And it is pass interference, but again, is it up to that standard? So we saw, I think we've seen a shift. And there, I know there you, was, I was going to say, why do you think that I was? I know there was a call this week between. The competition committee, I don't know who, but at least one member of the competition committee and the officiating group in New York, there was a call and the main topic was pass interference review. And so putting two and two together, knowing there was a call and just seeing the result of the reviews on Sunday, to me, that tells me that the bar, the needle has moved, at least when it comes to the call not made on the field. And this is the concern. And I think when you... It's been a moving target all year, and it mm-hmm. feels like it's moved again. And, right. and I'm not saying this is not necessarily the wrong direction, right? But again, it's hard when you're you're moving it from week to week or from quarter of the season to quarter of the season. It's hard for clubs to get a handle on it. Is this similar to what we saw earlier in the season when they had that conference call and teams weren't alerted of this that there was going to be that a was change. offensive holding? You know, right. we saw that we saw that early in early in the season, and I think you know in all of this, and I know and I know Coach Payton. I think Sean said something after the game, and I think there, he had some comments about um, and and it def, it definitely 
is related to the pass interference call that was. Yeah, he said it wasn't our best game. It wasn't their best game. And quite honestly, it wasn't New York's best game. When they change, like, how they they're going to rule? Do they let the coaches know? Hey, we're going to tighten up, or we're going to loosen up a little bit on that stuff. They they should, and that's the thing. If you you know, when I was at the league office, and and before that, the, you know, Pereira and and Carl Johnson before me, you would put out videos, and so if there was something significant, a point of emphasis, you know, I would do a tape that would go out to the clubs every Thursday, and it would highlight things. Here here's typically it would be anything from the previous week that needed explanation. And or something that might have been controversial or something that was rules related that I felt the clubs could benefit from. And then it was something if we were going to emphasize something or we were going to and you don't have changes very often. But if something was going to change, you would put it on that tape and make sure the clubs understood that that here's we were doing this. We're going to be doing something a little bit different. And so you would hope that the clubs are notified of that. And again, because these are these are challenges that are tied to timeouts and they're limited and they're important. And so do, do we know stats on how many were challenged? Cause I would think if they knew that it was going to, they were going to loosen up on it, then there would be more challenged. Well, there wasn't. So when you look at the number of, of challenges, I have to go back and look this week. I don't think there were significantly more challenges this week than in previous weeks. We just know that there were three overturns this week, which is a high number. I think that might be, I don't think we've had more than three and uh, during any other week. Yeah, and and so I don't feel like there were a lot more. I'd be week. I'd be willing to bet next week it's going to go up quite again. A bit. Yeah, I would, I would agree. That's the key. If once you see that, and if there is any communication with the clubs, then then now as a club, I'm going to say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna challenge more because we have a better chance of winning these. Va is going to be throwing that red. Arians is just going to be like flinging it. Do you think you're seeing this now because these games are a little bit more significant now as you get into the late later part of the season, the last it's, quarter of the season? Yeah, it's a variety of things. Could be you know you 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 obviously look, you never you don't. It's not ideal to have calls in the middle of the season and change things. And I'm not saying it never happens, but it's just not ideal because. Because to say that the teams were playing under a standard in week three that was different than the standard in week 12, that's tough. If I'm a team right. and a call that that didn't get overturned in week three would have gotten overturned in this new standard and, I, and that impacted my game, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. So, so I have a question. Somebody texted me because when you know Dean, you become Dean. So everybody who has a rule of football – question they they text me and then i have to ask yeah, i thought this was a really good one to them yeah so if coaches are out of challenge why don't they take the the red flag away from them so they don't get the penalty there should be someone on the team that takes it away, so they right? do so when the when that's a good question um so the coach when the coach is either out of challenges or at the two minute warning the ref the officials will go over to the to the coach and say coach you you can't challenge anymore you got to put the red flag away so the official doesn't take the red flag from them but the officials tell them you're out of challenges or it's two minute warning you can't challenge you got to put the challenge flag away and so every coach no every coach knows after the two minute warning they can't throw the red flag so if they do they're doing it for a reason um, there are some unusual situations. We had one a couple of weeks ago with the Rams where it was an interception that was overturned because of a penalty. Yeah. That's a new rule, a little bit unusual. Coach McVeigh threw the flag. I get that, but most coaches, every coach knows once we get to two minute warning and the officials go and tell them they, they don't, they don't take the red flag and should be like a get back coach. He should take the flag. Somebody has it. Yeah. If there's any, any of you head coaches out there, if you need a flag taker, Joe's good at taking things and losing them. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Don't give him the red flag because he might lose it. Like he lost lost my ATM card (laughs) a couple of weeks ago. Um, that I just got a new one back and had to do, you know, moving right along. A couple of places that had, had like automatic payment coming out. So if my lights go off, we'll know why. Thanks a lot. Um, You got it, buddy. You know, I've got a good story about the league meeting. Let's say, but we should probably go to break. Can we get that story after the break? No, after the break, we're going to talk to the Princess of Darkness, Amy Trask. Maybe, Maybe later we'll talk about that league meeting story. Amy Trask next on Good Calls. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, 
inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing Watson X Governance, helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM, let's create. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. Tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. All right, we're back on Good Calls. I am so excited to introduce our guest this week. She is a football analyst for CBS Sports, an author, You Negotiate Like a Girl, chairman of the board for Big Three Basketball, former CEO of the Oakland Raiders, the princess of darkness herself, Amy Trask. Amy, thank you so much for joining me. And I want to I want to ask you a question. You are known as the Princess of Darkness amongst Raider fans, which I think is the coolest nickname. How did you get that nickname? Well, thanks for inviting me to join you. I'm thrilled to do so. And it is the coolest nickname ever. And it was not intended as a compliment. <laughs> Mike Silver, uh, who at the time was with Sports Illustrated, wrote a feature and in it, he quoted some anonymous sources within the NFL. I don't remember whether they were uh, team owners or team executives or a combination, but um, they they said in a not complimentary manner <laughs> that behind my back, they referred to me as the princess of darkness. Well, what wasn't intended as a compliment, I accepted and embraced as a compliment, as did Raider Nation. We all thought it was terrific. And we, we claimed it. So since then, I've been the princess of darkness. And I hope right now that you're just a little bit afraid, Dean. I, I am always, I'm always a little bit, maybe not afraid, but intimidated and in awe of what, of what you've accomplished. And I love the fact, and what better, I mean, it's the Raiders. How, how great is the princess of darkness Raiders to me? It's, it's awesome. And uh, I, I agree. So you, you were, you grew up in L.A. You were a Raiders fan. And then and then when they came back to L.A., kind of was in line. You were at law school. You interned in the legal department, then went back and uh, and you were the CEO in 1997 until you you retired in 2013. And you've done so many things. I mean, I just saw, you know, in 2019, you were named one of the 100 greatest game changers in NFL history. And I want to talk a little bit about that experience you know, being in that, being in a in a male-dominated industry like football, and and I read your book, and and I want to talk a little bit about your experiences with the Raiders. Um, what was that like, just breaking in, and 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 how did you how did you manage that? 
Well, I, I, you noted it. I grew up in Los Angeles, but I did my college up in Northern California. I was at Berkeley and fell in love with everything about the Raider organization when I was just up the freeway, so to speak, up the road at Cal. Uh, that was when the Raiders were there. And when I came down to Los Angeles for grad school, when I returned home to Los Angeles for grad school is when the team relocated. And I thought, wow, isn't that my great fortune? My team's coming with me. And I know that that did not resonate well when the team left. I wasn't with the organization when Al moved it from Oakland yeah. to Los Angeles. Um, but I, when I was in grad school down here, picked up the phone, called the organization and, and asked about doing an internship. And what, what attracted me to the organization, I loved football from the time I was a kid. What attracted me to the Raiders in particular was um, everything about the organization resonated with me. Al would hire people that other organizations would label behavior problems. Mm -hmm. And having been labeled a behavior problem when I was in kindergarten, that struck a chord with me. And Al gave people second and third and fourth chances. And I was given a lot of chances. And it just everything about the organization. And, and you touched upon gender. You know, there will be people listening to your terrific podcast who liked the Raiders and liked Al Davis and people who hated the, the Raiders or still hate them and, and hated Al Davis. But if everyone's being intellectually honest about it, he deserves so much credit for hiring without regard to race, gender, ethnicity or any other individuality, which has no bearing on whether someone can do a job. And and I thought I worked with Art Shell when Art was at the the league office, and he spoke so highly of Al Davis. I never I never had the opportunity to meet Al. I I've, I've met Mark on on numerous occasions and had conversations with him, but I know Art spoke so highly of Al Davis. And you talk about that, you know, giving people a chance, and 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 that what what was it like to work for Al? It, it was the opportunity of a lifetime. And, you know, of course, Al hired Tom Flores and, and I'm listing this only chronologically. He hired Tom um, and then he hired me uh, in the mid 80s. And, and the reason I note that is think about that, Dean. Yeah. We're talking now in in the mid 2000, you know, 27, 2019. And, and we started talking about it. I don't know, 2015, maybe a little earlier, maybe a little later, the mid part of this block of time. Um, about women in sports, but in the mid eighties, like 1983, we weren't talking about that. And then he hired Art Shell and with Al. And, and I say this with a big smile on my face, not only did he hire without regard to race, gender, ethnicity, uh, he fired without regard to those <laughs> things and he cussed at people without regard to those individualities, which as I said, have no bearing on whether we can do a job. The biggest misconception about Al, and this goes to the heart of your question about working for him, the biggest misconception is that he wouldn't tolerate anyone who disagreed with him. Mm -hmm. Because if that were the case, I would have been fired about two weeks into my job. No, when you're not disagreeable. Never. I, I, I disagree <laughs> agreeably. <laughs> Uh, but I do disagree when I wish to disagree. And I did two weeks into my job. I disagreed with him and we had a loud, loud discussion. He yelled, I yelled, we yelled. I'm, I don't have a dainty voice under the best of circumstances. And, you know, after we'd been going at one another for, you know, I don't know, quite a while, he looked at me and he said, oh, oh, oh I got gotcha. you. I got it. And we moved right on. He understood the point I was making. And what I learned right then, two weeks into my job, of course, you can disagree with him. But if you're going to do so, you better come armed with data and information and facts, because if you're going to disagree, he's going to have a disagreement. Um, and, and you better just know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I like I said, so many people talk so highly of, of Al Davis. And I was just I just missed him when I was at the league office. It just we didn't you know, he wasn't he wasn't. Uh, I just didn't get a chance to meet him, but right. I wish I, I really would have had an opportunity. Now, I, I read your, your book, You Negotiate Like a Girl, and one of the excerpts that I really liked was when was when you ran into a good friend of mine, Andrea Kramer, in the bathroom at the league meeting. And and I never really thought about this because I've been to a ton of league meetings like you have, and 
it's, I always think about like the lines for the men's room compared to the lines for the ladies room. In most instances, it's the ladies room has the long line. Well, at the league meeting, it's all men and, and, and no you line. Talk, right. No line. <laughs> it's, and you talk about like two of the most powerful people, not women, people in, in sports, in the ladies room. And you, and you talked about like just being intimidated by Andrea. And if, if anybody that has ever seen Andrea, Andrea is not, she's a tiny person, but physically, but everything else about her is so amazingly just tremendous. And I just thought that was, you know, what, what, what was that like just being in those meetings at that time and being one of very few women, um, you know, what, what resistance did you experience from, from well, any group? Well, when I started attending league meetings in the mid eighties, there were no other women in the room. Oh, I'm sorry. That weren't related to ownership. Oh, actually, you know, you know, there's the one big league meeting a year where, where families come, yeah. but the two per club meetings and the one per club meetings, um, that it just there the discussion of women in sports wasn't happening when I went to my first league meeting. Uh, you know that you you know how it, it works, Dean. The the owners and executives gather in the back of the room and, sure. and have a little bit of coffee or whatever before the meeting starts. And I was in the back of the room, and someone turned and looked at me, the owner of another team, and and asked me to get him coffee. <laughs> and I quickly realized I'm the only woman in this room who's not part of the catering staff. So I had a lot of fun with it. I reacted in a manner that worked well for me. Yeah. I've been criticized by others who told me I should have gotten annoyed or I should have given them a lecture. And I handled it in a way that I thought was going to be very effective. And it was, and I thought it was going to be very fun. And it was, I looked at him and I said, sure. How do you take that? <laughs> and he told me and I handed him his coffee. And I knew when that meeting started in a few minutes and the two people per club took a seat and he saw I was there, he would put two and two together yeah. and, and remember the coffee incident. Well, I got him his coffee. And a few minutes later, we went in and Al and I sat in our two seats. And he, when I he looked over and saw me, you could actually almost see the blood draining from his face. And I started laughing and he started laughing. And from that moment on, he could not have been more supportive and more encouraging of me than he was. But I did regularly remind him he never even tipped me for the coffee. Yeah, exactly. What was that about? Right. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I had the just magnificent privilege and pleasure of working with um just terrific human beings who interacted without me with me without regard to gender and that's how i approached my job i never spent a moment thinking about the fact that i was a woman it strikes me as counterintuitive if one doesn't want others thinking about one's gender for one to spend time thinking about one's gender i mean if i want to walk into a meeting and i don't want anyone else thinking about the fact that i'm a woman then I don't think I should be thinking about the fact that I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting, you know, talk about like that gender blind concept and you want to treat people the same regardless of gender. And, and uh, I went through a similar situation, not pe me personally, but I hired Sarah Thomas, who was the first female NFL official. You sure do. And Sarah is was the same way. Sarah, Sarah, I'm going, I'm, I want to be a game official. I, it's not, I don't want to be a female game official. I want to be a game official and I'm going to treat you the same way. And I expect to be treated the same way as any other game official. And as you know, when you, when you realize you're a game official, people don't treat you that well. And so, you know, for Sarah, I remember it was, it was Bruce Arians who, who kind of baptized her into the NFL and Bruce will, will MF anyone. And he MF Sarah during a preseason game. And, and we talked about it after the game said, I said, you made it, you're an NFL official now, because regardless of gender, you're going to get that type of treatment. And, and I think, you know, that was a very similar experience for her. And I, you know, it's just so hard nowadays to, to be that, you know, to be blind to that because we hear the, like you said, you were there in the 80s. We're still talking about every time a, a female, we have a female coach or it's a story. When do you think it becomes a non-story? 
you know what? I just what a brilliant point you make, and I'm glad you made it because as exciting as these things are, and I want to touch on your hiring of Sarah for a moment, but as exciting as these things are, what's going to be truly exciting is when this is no longer a story, mm-hmm. when it's no longer a story, when someone is hired who isn't typically hired in a role, whether it's due to gender or race or any other you know individuality that has been excluded in the past. So, you know, that's when it's going to be exciting, when we no longer are talking about these things because it becomes the norm. But I remember when you hired Sarah, um, and I hats off to you because you did it because she was the right person for the job. You didn't do it for any other reason. Mm -hmm. And I was interviewed about that quite a bit. And my point was exactly the one you just made. You know what? She'll do her job. And guess what? She's going to get booed and she's going to get cussed at and she's going to get cussed out. And you know what? If you do it to a male official, you should do it to a female official. And that was my instinct, my gut impression of what Sarah wanted. And it turns out that is how she viewed her job as well. I will tell you that one of the most special moments in my career was when Al was, we were with a group of people and I'll try to make this very short, but essentially he was apologizing to a different woman in the room, a visitor we had, um, saying in advance, look, you know, I'll try not to swear. I don't like to swear in front of women. And I looked over at him like, what did you just say? <laughs> and he didn't see me looking at him. And then he said, and I would never swear at a woman. And my pen flew out of my hand and landed on the desk with a thump because the man swore at me all the time. Probably every day. Yeah. At, oh, it, multiple times. Yeah. And he looked over at me and realized what he had said and how I reacted. And he said, oh, Amy, I swear at Amy, but I don't consider her a woman. And that was the biggest compliment he could ever have given yeah. me. Yeah. That he evaluated me without regard to gender. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, my my motives were questioned when we hired Sarah and the league's motives were questioned. Are we just hiring her because she's a female? Is it a PR thing? And it was, it was tough. It was tough because the league wanted to celebrate her, her making, you know, that milestone. But we also, and I had many conversations with her. We also wanted to protect her and say, look, she's just another game official. And, 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 and I think your point is a great one too. When it's going, when it, when it will be really exciting is when it's not a story. And and hopefully that's that's coming in the near in the near term versus, you know, farther down the line. And of course, it's not exactly. And of course, it's not mutually exclusive to both recognize that she got her job on the merits without regard to gender, but that by you hiring her, that's a heck of a message to little girls that they, too, can pursue their dreams and know that there are people who will hire them without regard to gender. Now, listen, I want your listeners to know that when you and I interacted, when we were both in the league, there was never, in my view, in my estimation, in my experience, any time you interacted with me in any manner other than you would have had I been a male. Sure. Yeah. Does that, you know, and, and that, by the way, that's how it should be, whether we were on the same side of an issue or wanting to strangle one another. <laughs> gender should not not that I would ever want to do that to an official um, or anyone in the officiating department, never, never. I should say. But my experience with the officials and the league during my years with you, with Mike Pereira, gender was never an issue. And and that and that's how we we approached it as well. I do want to. I would be remiss. We talked about officiating. So let's shift gears a little bit. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the play. And I know this is something that you know. I know it haunts you, and you probably still wake up at night and you see Walt Coleman's face. The tuck play. Okay, talk to me about what what your experience. What was happening? What was going through your mind as it all unfolded on that snowy evening up in Foxborough? Well, as you know, it was Foxborough, as you just mentioned, I should say. So it wasn't a new modern, modern facility. So staff from the visiting team was seated in a visiting team staff section of the press box. So we were in the middle of, you know, the media and Art McNally, the then director of officiating, was behind me. Um, And the reason I point that out is there's the no cheering in the press box rule, Mm -hmm. which people try to abide by, but it doesn't always work. Yeah. So when we saw Woodson hit Brady, the ball come out, Beekert 
falling. We knew we couldn't scream. We knew we couldn't cheer. So my colleagues and I, the coworkers and I, we just started grabbing each other's arms <laughs> and like expressing just incredible delight with our I faces. I can picture it. Yeah. Squeezing one another because we didn't want to scream. And then I realized, oh my gosh, they're going to review this play. And as, as you know, the play was inside, just, just, just inside of two minutes. Had this play been only a couple of seconds sooner, game over. Yeah. Because New England had no timeouts. New England couldn't have challenged this. I'm getting myself all over. Oh, I know, I know. I don't, I know. But I mean, when you think about football being referred to as a game of seconds and a game of inches, if this play happens only seconds earlier, game over. So anyway, it didn't. And it happened just seconds inside of two minutes. And I realized it was being um, reviewed. So I turned to Art McNally, who your listeners should know was not a young man at the time. He was very old. Oh, he was older. He was very esteemed. And I I looked at him and in a very loud voice, because again, I have a loud voice. I wasn't trying to scream. I just talked loudly. I said, you better call 911 because if you overturn this play, if you if, if you overturn this play or this F, I, I'm trying not to. I know. No, it's fine. But, but, you know, if you you better call 911, because if you overturn this effing play, I'm going to have an effing stroke. But I didn't say effing. I said the word. Well, in that Mike Silver article I referred to earlier, um, it was reported by someone that I said, you better overturn, you, you know, if you overturn this effing play, I'm going to have an effing heart attack. So I looked at my husband because I didn't recall I had said that. And I looked at my husband. I said, I didn't say that. I did not say that. I am contacting Sports Illustrated. I am demanding a retraction. My husband lets me go on and on for a bit. And then he looks at me and says, well, before you call Sports Illustrated, let me tell you what you really did say. You said you better not overturn this effing play because if you do, I'm going to have an effing stroke. So, so it was, yeah, it was stroke, the the but yes. The whole effing part stayed the same. I, I it it's I can't even describe to you how just surreal it was. Yeah. And yes, we got the ball back. And yes, you know, everybody points out, Amy, you still had opportunities to win. And they're right. Except I saw the faces on our sidelines. I saw how incredulous and stunned everyone in the organization, coaches, players, all of us were. Um, it was like someone had ripped into our heart into our chest cavities and ripped our hearts out. Now, is that an excuse? No, we still had a chance to win the game, but in our minds we had, and it was just taken from us. We were, we were overwhelmed, just heartbroken. No. And that's, and and I can't imagine going from the highest of highs. We, we won the game to what is happening and as it's playing out and now, and now everybody has to think it's over and now you have to compose yourself and keep playing. It's an unbelievable Unbelievable situation, and you are what. What was great is that you, to this day, you are as you are as adamant and as emotional as you were in two thousand and one to to today, two thousand nineteen. It's still with you, and that's that it, it passion. Is, it is, and you know, you stated it perfectly and far more articulately articulately than I did because I was getting myself all het up again. But um, yeah, we won the game in our minds. The game was over. We won. Game over. Done. And now we had to regroup and play again. And that's why I'm very careful to say I don't offer that as an excuse because other teams might have been able to regroup and win the game anyway. But I offer it as an explanation. We were just flabbergasted. And yes, I am as passionate about it today. But I will note this. Many people, when they hear me um, or see my tweets about it, Amy, get over it. Amy, let it go. And my response to that is, isn't this the fun of sports? There are so many things in life that we have to let go, that we have to say, all right, move on, let go. Well, the fun of sports is the passion that we have. And the fact that whether it's the immaculate reception or the tuck rule or any other play, you know, the catch, we all can continue to feel as passionate as we do. We don't have to let it go. That's the passion of sports. 
and and that's it. And that's what I think makes it so great. And I think that sometimes we don't we don't want to see officiating controversies necessarily, but they they're part of the lore of the game, right? It's it's part of the history and part of that that romanticism of remembering. Hey, if everything was just hundred percent accurate and every, and there was no debate, no controversy, it would be boring. And 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 sorry, you had to be on the wrong end of that call. As as the lore and the history, and we're celebrating a hundred years of NFL football, but it is it is part of it. And yeah, I was about to jump in and say, <laughs> "There's no beauty in that night." Now, you and I, you know, let let's have at it, Dean. There's no beauty in no, I, but I do understand what you're saying. It is part of what um, people remember about sport. It was just oh, and 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 then we we couldn't get out of New England because it was snowing, and uh, well, and, and I will tell you this: we finally got home hours and hours and hours and hours delayed and I got into my house and I was looking at email and there was an email from my cousin who's you know a very very successful smart lawyer and he got a copy of the tuck rule and he sent a mass email to everyone in the family like 50 people breaking down a legal analysis of the tuck rule and I was so mad I hit reply all and I just wrote f but I spelled the word out F you and hit send. And my husband says to me a few minutes later, you know, you sent that to the entire family, including like your parents and everyone. And I didn't care. And maybe 20 minutes later, I get an email back to the whole family from my dad and it said, Amy's right. (laughs) Well, I just want to say before I let you go that, you know, the tuck rule was changed in 2013 and and who was the head of officiating that year? That was someone's first year, and one of his first orders of business was to change the tuck rule. Do you remember who? Uh, that, remember who that think, was? Let me think. Rhymes, rhymes, rhymes with. Yeah, I can't think of a good rhyming word. I was going to be really cute and say what your name rhymed with, but I know who that was. That was me. So that was an ode to you, and I thought it was perfectly. It was poetic that the Raiders abstained from that vote. That I thought that was amazing. I thought that was the that was the punctuation point. That was it. That was it at the well, end. And that was bringing back the old abstention of Raider lore because that was one of my greatest and most proud moments. Was when I got Al to to let me end the comp, the, the process of abstaining and start voting on things. And it (laughs) took a lot of work for me to get him to stop abstaining. But if ever there was a perfect moment for the organization to go back to abstaining, that was it. It was it. I thought it was perfect poetic justice. So Amy, thank you so much, Amy. You can follow her on Twitter at Amy Trask. Maybe she'll say hi to you, which she does to a lot of us on Twitter. Amy, thank you so, so much for joining me. Dean, may I say before we go um, that it really was a delight to join you on this. And it is so fun for me to watch how you are succeeding in media and your every success is the league's loss. Thank you so much, Amy. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'll share that league meeting story. And we're going to talk about a crazy play from college football's oldest and longest running rivalry next on Good Calls. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance, Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. 
Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on do not disturb, tuning out all the constant just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. All right, we're back on Good Calls. Thanks again to the Princess of Darkness, Amy Trask, for joining us. Great. A lot of great stories. Um, she's still not over the tuck rule, by the way. Fox, they do, they bring in guests on Sundays to hang out. And we have what's called the avocado room, which is Fox's cool hip way of a green room, right? Because right. avocado, we're in California, and blah, 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 whatever. Avocado. Exactly. So today, <laughs> so today. Do it again, Chad. Avocado toast. You guys going to get some avocado toast? <laughs> that's very, that's very Cali. So. So today, in addition to the normal guests, um, there was a group, John C. McGinley, the actor. Travis, give me give me a quick film, film, filmography well, on John C. McGinley. I saw him walk into the room, and I was like, I know this guy from somewhere. And the one that I knew right off the top of my head was Office Space and Scrubs. Yeah. No, he's a good actor. Yeah, but he's actor. been in a ton of stuff. Wait, wait who was he in, in Office Space? I do know that movie. He was the boss, right? Who do you play in Office Space? I don't even know. Um, yeah, that it. guy? He was so he was he was in Scrubs. He was in Platoon. Stop! You know about me in movies, man. He was Every in single a day, ton we talk about of this. movies. So anyway, and Dean gives a little speech to all the people that come through our cube, and 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 he tells them about what we do yeah. and how we're the real workers. And yeah, the we were, the and then and then Terry and Howie and Strahan they just yuck it up on on yeah. camera for like. 30 minutes and where they were all day working. So anyway, so John C. McGinley, who I've always, I've always appreciated as an actor, he's wearing a giant's hat and I didn't realize he's from New York. He grew up in, in actually in, in Manhattan. I noticed that when I looked him up too. And, so he was one of the bobs on office space. Anyways. Keep okay. Going. He was one of the bobs. All right. So, so we're a giant's hat. So I grew up a giant's fan, grew up in New York and we started talking and then he went off on past interference review and he was like, I got a question. He's like, what's up with past interference review? And it was interesting to hear. Like, it's just funny because you think about this guy that that is is this Hollywood actor that they're just fans, right? He's right. just like a football fan, and he was frustrated with how past interference re- review was being administered. And we had this long conversation about it, and you know, the call in the Giants Patriots game, and 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 all of these things. And and he, you know, and he was pretty like worked up about it. And I think. Um, so I'm hoping that John C. McGinley feels a little bit better about past interference review because, like we talked about earlier, the standard does appear, at least when the call is not made on the field, that it has changed. So um, John C. McGinley, big football fan, great actor. Maybe hopefully we can reach out and get him on the show. And that was can, a cool sighting. Further. Yeah, it was. It definitely was. You know, you could have gained a, a listener there. We talk about it on Good Calls every week, John talk about it on good yeah calls. i'm just not that kind of promoter i'm not gonna meet people and they oh you know what i got a podcast and yeah shanks's calls. assistant comes in there it's not yeah it's yeah, just dean's not, in there not doing that but his show so so the other the other thing that happened to me this week and you guys we've talked about it on the podcast um i was doing the xfl i'm, <laughs> I'm helping out the xfl with their officiating and i was doing a uh, a reading we're doing these rules um we're going to do these things to help people understand the XFL rules because there's some changes. It's it's NFL rule-based, but there's some differences. The kickoff is different. Overtime is different. So we wanted to do these things that we could post on social media and share with the fans, with diagrams, and they wanted me to voice them over. So I spent a couple of hours um, at a studio in Santa Monica doing voiceover work, which I never realized how hard it was. 
and you have a room full of people that are telling you, no, read it this way and read it with more of a smile and read it. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. But <laughs> so the, the line, I had to read about the kickoff and the line was, um, don't worry, there'll still be plenty of action. There'll still be pretty there'll still be plenty of contact without the huge running start. So I don't want to give too much away about the XFL kickoff, but the line was huge running start. And if you listen to our show, you know that I'm from Long Island and I have a hard time pronouncing that word correctly. I can't pronounce the H. I just say huge. (laughs) So it's spelled U-G-E. So I'm doing this line and the guy, he goes, Dean, it's great. We love it. It sounds great. Only one note to have the, huge is coming out as huge. Like it's just sounding like you're saying huge. And I'm like, no, it doesn't sound like that. I am saying huge. Like it's not, it's, it's not. So he goes, well, okay. So let's just say it like you, you know, you, and, and I literally couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So I'm trying to say you. And I, every time I say I'm whispering because that's the only way I can pronounce the age. So I'm like, without the huge running start. And I did it. Like literally did it seven times without the huge, huge, huge running start. So finally he goes, all right, so we're going to change huge to big. And can you do big running start? And I was like, yeah. And I, I felt like Rocky and Rocky too, when he was doing, when he couldn't read the script and and I was like, hey, I'm not a I'm not a dumb guy, you know. It was unbelievable. I literally he got in my head. I couldn't say. It. We got to get a speech coach for you for that. Huge <laughs> trying stuff. If you want to keep that voiceover career going, let's go to the brain of Blandino the before we wrap it Blandino. up. All right, here we go. Ready, my little. I'm looking. Oh, this is a good one. Pineapple good. on pizza. Slash barbecue chicken. Well, this goes to the whole, okay, this goes to the whole conversation of, you know, pizza and pineapple on pizza. You're certainly a purist. I'm a, I'm a traditionalist purist. I don't, I'm not, I'm not a pizza snob and you guys know that. This is true. I'm, I'm from New York, but I will eat pizza from anywhere. One of very few New Yorkers yes. I've met. I don't. I never sit there and I go, oh, it's not New York pizza. Da, 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 da. I'm not, you know, so... But I I know, I guarantee you, I know more about pizza than Barstool Presidente over there. Whoa. I guarantee you, okay? But anyway, so the thing is... Is that a challenge? Is that a pizza-off yeah, challenge? Whatever. We can, have, do we can do it. You know let's what we should do, do? We should get, like, one of those people who... What what are they, like? A hype man? Like, sommeliers, but for, like, taste buds. Oh, yeah. And they could... They could give like a real rating on the pizza and then we'll see. You who know, who's legit. The legit pizza guy, he had a show on Vice, um, the pizza guy. He's from he's from Brooklyn, I think. And he has his own. But I think if you can look him up, Travis, he's great. That guy, um, I've watched him on Vice. They had the pizza show. Well, according to Scott in the cube, if, if this gets back to Barstool, you're going to get your door kicked. And I love those guys. I, I went <laughs> on part of my take. I love those guys. I just, you know, I, I am a pizza connoisseur, but I'm not a pizza snob. And so... Here's the thing. Pineapple, I'm I'm just very I'm very torn with pi- the whole pineapple barbecue chicken, like barbecue sauce on pizza, pineapple on pizza. I just I don't see it. I don't think it tastes good. I don't like, but apparently a lot of people like it. Okay, so where are you at? Travis? I like I I actually like I like pineapple on pizza. I can't I'm a, stand I'm a pineapple fan. on pizza. I think it's great. You get a little sweet with the savory and it's awesome. It's just, it's not the the flavor profile. It's the heat. Hot pineapple. Like, would you throw a pineapple in the oven? Yeah. And just, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. gross. And so I, I'll, th- I'll make stir fry and I'll throw some pineapple in there. It's it's good. You I get, just always you like pineapple, pineapple like a nice cold. It's yes. like refreshing. Like yes. a refreshing pina colada. I get off the water. I get off the boat. It's yeah. hot day. Give me some pineapple. I'm in. You're going to rule against me on this one? The no, and, We're and definitely look, I just don't. I, I'm Look, I was, I probably have, have softened my stance on this but i'm not a big I'm getting to you i'm not a big pineapple i'm so so to me the pineapple is a but i, I but i dig a barbecue chicken pizza I ain't uh, gonna lie. so bad. dan jensen's your guy from vice no 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 his no? name's not dan jensen oh my bad then the pizza show google the pizza show on yeah. vice too late got a couple of guys here saying dan jensen my bad is it no i don't think it is dan jensen was wasn't dan jensen like the no. guy the decathlete <laughs> Dan Jensen. So give us the top three California pizzas real quick. California pizzas that I've been to? Yes. I'll tell you what. There's Joe's in Santa Monica that is very New York style that I like. And, again, I'm not not opposed to other styles of pizza. I just – that's what I grew up with. And Joe's in Santa Monica is the closest in this area that I've seen. 
you know, buy the slice. You can go in, you get a couple slices. It's, it has that, it has that pizzeria pizza parlor feel. Um, I'm honestly, Fresh Brothers is not bad for for what it is. I love Fresh Brothers. Fresh, my kids love right? Fresh, Fresh Brothers. Brothers. My kids love Fresh Brothers. Fresh Brothers for the 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 kind of the delivery, you know, the the Domino's Pizza Hut style. Fresh Brothers is yeah. really is I think for good. the chain Fresh Brothers is for by chain, far and away the best. Fresh Brothers is and the deep is dish really good. Yeah, the deep legit. dish is great. I'll tell you. And what, they've got a keto crust now too for us that are watching. I'll tell you the pizza that is real that I really like is Tower Twelve in Hermosa Beach. Tower Twelve does a a Parmesan the ricotta stuff. Yeah, but it's got Parmesan like on it. It's a pizza, but the crust has ricotta cheese and Parmesan. It's just. Really, really good. Tower Twelve. I'll tell you what's not good. Pizza is also in Hermosa Beach, but oh, I'm, I'm not going to name. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to throw anybody down the, the, under the bus. Yeah, I know guy? those guys. So uh, yeah, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. I'm just saying Hermosa Beach. Every pizzeria in Hermosa Beach isn't that great. Okay, <laughs> what's the guy? What's his name? Frank Paneo. Yeah, that's okay. Him. That's yeah, the him. other guy, Dan Jensen. They Vice did a story on him. He's only eaten pizza for the last 25 years. He's going to die. Oh, so yeah, we're going to yeah. talk about yeah, him that, next that. week. All right, what? That's our show. <laughs> Thanks for listening. 1884 was the, the matchup. That's when it started with Lehigh. This has been Good Calls with Dean Blandino. Please follow me on Twitter at Dean Blandino, on Instagram at Dean.Blandino. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Rules Podcast. And be sure to rate our podcast on the iHeartRadio app and on Apple Podcasts. Good Calls with Dean Blandino is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.